This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin and Dan Dickinson here with you tonight. The New York Red Bulls continue their undefeated run, a 2-0 home victory over the San Jose Earthquakes that the team really wasn't super happy about. They, I think they liked the result, but not so much the performance. Tonight on Seeing Red, it is a supersized show, and we have for you the legendary all-time leading scorer for New York, and that's Juan Pablo Angel, who, who will call in from Colombia to Seeing Red. And I know that we like to say that we have international fans, and we do, I th- and we've had... During our call-in shows, you had calls from the UK. This is the first time I think we've had uh, a call-in from South America, and a very prestigious one as well. We're also going to speak to Howard Megdal of Capital New York. We'll give our bull and cow of the week. We will listen to your voicemails and read your emails. It's a very big show, and New York is in the middle of a very, very big homestand, and they are the top team in MLS, and they're the only unbeaten team. Left standing. Dan Dickinson, how are you tonight? I'm I'm doing good. I'm still standing as well. You are. Dan Dickinson <laughs> did four area soccer games in four days, and if you haven't gone and read his piece at, at Gothamist.com, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go check that out. Dan, what was your opinion of New York's dominating 2 nothing victory on Friday night? I thought it was just that, Mark. It was a, a dominant performance. It took them you know, about 10 minutes to really get into the game because San Jose was... Uh, bringing some speed early, but that that was as complete a performance as I think I've seen this season. The attack was fluid and dangerous. The defense was doing a fantastic job mopping up balls and uh, keeping Innocent Amagara off the score sheet. Um, for you know 75 minutes of that match, it was all New York. Yeah, it was all New York. And when I think about players that really stood out, um, for me, Felipe uh, continues, and, and I said it last week, that Mike Grella continues to grow on me, and obviously his second goal of the season, I thought he did very well, took it very well on a tricky angle, but Felipe's value, I believe, is really shining through. Had all the key passes of the night, had a lot of um, key corners and restarts. He was terrific. Sasha Kleschen got his first goal in a Red Bulls uniform, which was a tap-in that, you know, perhaps maybe you or I could have converted in the media game uh, <laughs> at Red Bull Arena. Maybe you'll get a chance to, to get a scoring streak going later in the year. But nevertheless, it was a simple finish for Kleschen, his first MLS goal in a very, very long time. And, uh, yeah, some shaky moments in the second half. Uh, Jesse Marsh waited pretty late to, to make any changes. He didn't make any substitutions until the 76th minute, where we saw the Grizzo platoon uh, go into full effect, with Salzizo coming in from Mike Grella, and Dane, of course, stretched. But uh, Sean Davis had his first MLS minutes, which was nice to see. Um, credit to San Jose, they came out in the second half with a little bit more fire, uh, but th- th- they didn't really get any quality chances. I think uh, Luis made a, a couple of uh, decent saves, four saves on the night. But this, as you said, this was as complete a victory that New York has put together start to finish in a very, very long time. And they find themselves tied on points at the top of the league for sure. But this club is the only unbeaten club in MLS. And they have two more home games against Western Conference opponents coming up in the next week. And they could really start to put some distance between uh, the rest of the MLS East. 
They could. Uh, there's only one problem, which is I think there's a three-game week in, in there. Um, but, you know, the, the team's been performing so well. It, it's interesting to think that, I think I said during the game on Twitter, you know, they broke on a counter at some point, and it's no longer that I'm worried that the counter's going to break down. It's that I expect them to score. And to to have as much faith in the attack um, at this point as I seem to have stumbled onto is uh, kind of remarkable. It is remarkable. It's also very interesting. There was one break in the second half, if I remember, and Kleschen, after the match, was very, very candid that he did not believe that he had the best uh, performance, and it's hard to... I think it's hard to argue otherwise. There was one uh, uh, moment in the, in the match where there was a breakout because San Jose was so far pushed up, and Kleschen came down. I think he had Bradley on his left, and he slowed the breakdown so much. You just got a sense that Kleschen was a little uncomfortable going forward um, on on such a counter, and it really kind of deflated and a chance to, to make it 3 nothing. Uh For fans in the South Ward, I guess a little sad. No goals scored at all. Uh, on their half of the field, which is a little strange. I, that doesn't happen all too often. Usually when the Red Bulls actually charge and head towards the South Ward, there's uh, plenty of uh, of action around the net. Bradley had a late chance, but again, a complete victory. Uh, everyone from Jesse March down to the players understood that while it was a significant victory and while it was a clear victory, New York uh, far than played their best match of the year. And for Red Bulls fans, I think that you ha- that has to give fans a lot of hope that there's no satisfying um, where they are right now. They understand that they're only as good as their last match. They're trying not to get too excited, and they shouldn't with a, a, a I guess you could say a, a true quality contender in the LA Galaxy coming to town. They, they can't, and uh, you know I think it said a lot during the match, uh, particularly after the match. Um, everybody we talked to made it sound like the halftime message was an angry one, that the team was not playing well enough. And every player down the line, and I'm sure everybody's seen the quotes in the media by now, but the the players were truly not happy with the performance, but they'll take the result. And to say that about a shutout win at home, um, (laughs) you know, it it, it felt, I'm trying to not invoke his name anymore, but it reminded me a lot of a certain uh, Frenchman who used to complain when the team would win 4-1 about the one goal they gave up. Uh, Piggy Luyen Yes, of course, him. (laughs) (laughs) New York with 500 passes in this match, over 110 more passes than San Jose, and, uh, yeah, a clinical victory. So here we go, 3-0-2 on the season, a 2-0 home win, continuing the best uh, MLS home record since 2012, along with this week's opponent. So your bull, sir, for a, a thumping, a 2 nothing victory. There are so many candidates uh, between Lloyd Sam for his pass, for Sasha and uh, uh, Mike Grella for the goal, uh, you know, the defensive line with young Matt Miazga and Damien Perrinel mopping up everything. But I'm going to give it to Felipe. Um, his performance in midfield was dangerous. Uh, his service on corner kicks was pretty good. Um, it was it was a solid performance for the the pickup from Montreal. I'm going to give my bowl of the week, which may which may be the first, 
to young Matt Miazga. Matt Miazga had the kind of game that uh, very, very few players have ever had in MLS history. There was a great uh, piece on him uh, on MLSsoccer.com that wrote about his statistical uh, prowess. It was something like the most uh, headed balls, the most blocks, the most clearances. It was really statistically a, a perfect night for Miazga, who is getting a lot of attention. Um, he has been called away. I, I don't know, Dan, did he play against Qatar today in uh, in Austria? Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't see the report from the match, so I'm not sure. Okay, so he, he did go to Austria with the U-20s. Of course he will be away for the U-20 World Cup, and this is a kid who has really taken a hold of his opportunity, and you have to think that bigger things are ahead for him. It's hard to believe, based on his play this season, that he's only 19. It it seems as if he's come very, very far, very quickly. Okay, so I have, have, uh, since 2010, there have been only four individual performances with eight aerials, one, eight clearances, seven interceptions, and four tackles. And it was the first time that that had happened in the league in almost two years since young Austin Berry, who sadly his career has kind of fallen off, um, had done that. Um, Miazga was just about flawless. And so uh, young Matt Miazga, our bull of the week. So now how, and we were talking about this before the show starts, how do you give a cow on a night when you dominate the, the opposition, you weather their brief storm, you score two first half, first half goals, and kind of stroll the victory? You know, I've been staring at the stat sheet trying to figure this out, and I am holding to my line this year of not awarding them to the opposition or the referee or anything happening off the field. It's got to be, you know, somebody with the team. Yes. Um, I'm going to give it to Chris Duvall because... He is the only me- only member of the starting eleven without a shot or an assist. Okay, and for the season or in the just game? in the game, everybody else had a shot except for Felipe, who had an assist. Or wait, no, right. is that that's Lloyd Sam? Lloyd Sam also Lloyd's, did not have a shot, but he did have. But an he assist. had an assist. So, All right, that's fine. I, I am not. Ba- I, that's fine. I am not. I am not bound by your uh, your philosophy on on bulls and cast of the year. I'm going to give it to. Uh, Okay, let's start here. Um, it's Friday at 7 o'clock. Getting to Red Bull Arena is difficult, it, even on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. And um, you know, this is a team that traditionally has had problems putting folks into the building, and Friday was no different. It was announced at a shade over 16,000 in the house. Um, excuse me, 16,000 paid tickets. Uh, there was maybe... I don't know my my untrained eye. Maybe not a whole lot more than than ten or twelve thousand in the house, and that's a shame because this is a first place team that's doing very well. And we're certainly going to talk about attendance issues for the team in general with uh, Howard Megdal when we catch up with him later in the show. But it's it's ticket holders that that aren't coming, and we've talked ad nauseum since. Uh, the big moment in January about why fans might stay away, but it, it certainly wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty on television. It didn't uh, really bode well and didn't paint a pretty picture, uh, as we've said so far many times before. So uh, no shows. And Chris Duval, our cows of the week. So coming to town on Sunday at 5 o'clock at ESPN2, is the L.A. Galaxy. Did you know, Dan, the team is not actually called the Los Angeles Galaxy? Did you know that? I this? actually did know that. 
They are the LA Galaxy. That is the name of the team. LA 3-2-2 two, and two so far in the young season. Third in the West, tied for third in MLS behind Dallas and Vancouver. Eight goals scored, seven against, but on the road in their three road games where they are winless this season, only two goals scored and five against. Um, last time out, they beat KC on an Omar Gonzalez header deep into injury time. Just at the uh, at the end of the match, they beat KC two to one. They have home wins over Chicago and Seattle. Houston drew LA at the StubHub Center. They lost. Uh, they lost at DC on a last second goal by party by Chris Pontius. They lost at Vancouver, and they lost on the. Uh, I'm sorry. They drew Portland on the road. Uh, this is a very different LA Galaxy team because obviously it does not have Landon Donovan anymore. And for the last few weeks, they did not have Rob, Robbie Keane anymore because he has been out uh, three of the last four matches with a groin strain. Also, their talented midfielder, Villarreal, has been out with a hamstring industry, uh, hamstring industry, with a hamstring injury, excuse me. And so that leaves uh, Alan Gordon, uh, who likes to score very, very late, two goals leading the team. Keane has two goals, Villarreal... Uh, a goal and two assists, same with Omar Gonzalez, uh, Husidic has one and one, Giasse Zardes, who has not really impressed a whole lot uh, with the U.S. men's national team or this season with L.A., has a goal. There, Janino, two assists, and Ishizaki with an assist. So, of course, this team is waiting not only for Keane to get healthy, but they're also waiting for Steven Gerrard uh, at the end of the EPL season to head west so he can get his pasty English Liverpoolian skin some uh, some sun. The lineup last week had uh, Pinedo, who's a phenomenal keeper, um, Dan Gargan, Meyer, who was replaced by Omar Gonzalez, De La Garza, Robbie Rogers in the back, Ishizaki, Garcia, Janino, and Usidic. Uh, Jameson, who is the U-17 national, making his first start last week, and then Alan Gordon up top. So this is an L.A. team that's trying to find itself. 3-2-2 uh, two and two is not... It's a fine. It's an okay start. It's not a great start from L.A. Of course, if there's any team that is going to be able to handle the Red Bulls' high pressure, it's Bruce Arena, former Red Bulls coach. You would think so. I mean, Bruce has been around the league long enough, and he's seen it all. I think the story for the Galaxy as of late is certainly the absences, as you mentioned, Mark. Um, Landon Donovan's retirement cannot be overstated. It, it has definitely changed the complexion of this team. And not only is Robbie Keane injured, but Giafi's artist was on the bench as well because I believe there was something of an injury or maybe it was just exhaustion from the uh, midweek with the national team. In either case, um, this is not the LA Galaxy that we've seen in past years, and they are certainly beatable. But Jaime Pinedo, as you mentioned, uh, has put up some really strong performances, including, I believe, a 10-save game against Seattle mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. So yeah. um, they they certainly can be dangerous, and they're you know certainly not to be taken lightly. But um, I I wouldn't put as much strength in them as people have in the past. All right, all right. Uh, of course, last year in the one game between the two. Yeah. L.A. stomped on New York 4-0. Keane with two goals. Donovan Zarda scored. That was the uh, that was Chris Duvall's last uh, appearance, I believe, for this season. It, it was, as it turned out. It, 
It was. Uh, Chris made a very bad, very bad mistake early in the second. That was a complete bat breaker. And LA, of course, winner of the last uh, three of the last four MLS Cups, uh, really kind of rolled. New York's had some success over LA of late. They won the game in 2013, right at the end when Tim Cahill scored. Uh, Joel Limpair got the one goal in 2012 when the two teams played. Of course, the the two teams met in the 2011 playoffs, and I will never forget. That away ga- that away game uh, in late 2011 that had the 11 p.m. Eastern start time, and that's when Mike McGee, former Metro, uh, put the dagger in as LA moved on to uh, to an MLS Cup. So, uh, before we get to predictions, there are uh, there there are a couple of events that are happening around this match that it's important to share. Um, New York Red Bulls are partnering with uh, Red Bull. Uh, charity Wings for Life, which is in support of spinal cord injury research. Um, former Rutgers football player Eric Legrand, uh, of course, who was paralyzed in 2010 uh, in a football game, will be delivering the game ball, which will be great. Uh, Legrand has actually been at Red Bull's uh, Red Bull Arena a number of times. Um, so tickets, I believe you use the promo code. If you go to redbulls.com slash wings for life and use promo code RBWF, L, uh, a portion of the tickets will go not only to Wings for Life, but also the Christopher and Dana Reeve uh, Foundation um, to help uh, solve uh, spinal cord injuries. Uh, in addition, um, it's also New Jersey Youth Soccer Tops Night. Uh, at Red Bull Arena, and I don't know if you're familiar with TOPS, but TOPS is a terrific program uh, that has uh, been launched by New Jersey Youth Soccer. Uh, it's uh, The acronym stands for the Outreach Program for Soccer. It's a community-based program for young players with disabilities, and the Red Bulls have taken part in coaching clinics uh, in the town where I am in West Orange, New Jersey. There's a, a very strong TOPS program for any child with a mental or physical disability to be able to learn and play the game in a fun uh, environment. So uh, if you're interested learning more about tops please go visit njyouthsoccer.com so tons going on it's going to be a big night it's la ticket sales i believe are doing very very well um a couple of uh, special things and our guest juan pablo angel will be here uh, at the at the match beyond or before the game so dan dickinson your prediction for sunday afternoon at five at red bull arena i think the uh, the team will keep rolling i'm gonna call it two one new york Two one New York. I think. Uh, I think. Well, here's the thing. At some point, they're going to lose a game hmm. because I don't think they're going thirty two zero and two. So you would think. Um, yeah, but once again, you're playing a Western Conference opponent on the big stage, uh, and it is going to be a big stage for the league, even though the one percent derby has lost some of its lost luster with uh, the lack of big stars on New York. Um, heck, I'm going to say it's a two nothing victory for New York. They're going to continue to roll along. I think Sam and Bradley Wright Phillips get on the score sheet. So, uh, so, so, so there you so, go. Yeah. Um, News in NewJersey.com today that the Harrison Path Station is under some sort of a review. There's some Amtrak right-of-way situation going on. In any case, they're saying it's not going to be till 2018 now that the Harrison Station will be uh, renovated, which I think is a, a real big shame. The other thing, uh, other news and notes for the week, uh, the Red Bulls do had a draw 
in their first ever road match, which was in where were they playing, Dan? Uh, where did the Red Bulls two wasn't play? That Charleston. Was it? Uh, hold on, we're going to the website now, folks. We're recording it live. It was Charleston, the Charleston Battery. It was a one-one draw. Uh, the Red Bulls two are one. One and two now on the young season, and they're right in the middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference standings. We did want to go before we went to before we go to break. We want to talk a little bit about the state of the team's fans. And Dan, in your piece, your your very very uh, engaging four matches and four nights piece, you you touched a little bit upon how Red Bulls fans are thinking about their team right now. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I, I think it's. It's never easy with this club for uh, a good run of form to be appreciated properly. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been around the club as long as many. Uh, I, I came back to the league in 2010 after the World Cup. And the, the sort of consistent thing I've noticed is that anytime there's a good run of form, the, it, there's a certain portion of the fan base that starts betting against itself. It's not oh, we're going to keep running with this. Oh, you know, this is good. We're playing with a good style. It, it's always, this will be the game. This is the banana peel game that we're going to play against Chivas USA, and I'm sure we're going to lose it. This is going to, you know, LA is coming in. Oh, my God, they won MLS Cup. They're going to murder the Red Bulls. And, you know, the, there's been a certain level of fun poking uh, on the, the Vipers Nest Facebook group where somebody declared that the Columbus game was going to be when the love affair with Jesse Marsh was over. And then the Red Bulls pulled out a 2-1 win on the road. Um, and it's just, it's, I, I think it's very difficult. And I understand it because people who have been around this club for a long time have been burned over and over again. And hope is hard to sustain um, if you if you've been hurt that many times. But what I found fascinating, <laughs> what I found fascinating about it was when I considered this against the message in the locker room after the the win against San Jose, the players aren't believing in themselves either. You know, it's, we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. We're not going to believe the hype. We're going to keep playing with the chip on our shoulders. So it struck me that I don't know if there's anybody who actually is in Red Bull Arena who believes the Red Bulls are as good as everybody else thinks they are. Everybody's going to doubt it. Everybody's going to wait for the floor to drop out. And I don't know, Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably about right. I think you, I mean, there there are folks on social media that were discounting just about every goal that the team has scored this year. Oh, that was lucky. Oh, the defender fell down. Oh, that was a rebound. Everything oh, is a defender mistake or a moment of magic. That's there, right. There's no in-between. There's the no game. quality here whatsoever. Nope. Um, I, I understand completely that fans may be a bit reticent to jump up and down. I think also because it's not even Memorial Day yet. And I think over the course of the league's history, there have been plenty of situations where teams race out of the gate really, really fast. And come August 15th, they've got nothing left. And when you think about the high-pressing style and the high-pressure style that Jesse Marsh's team has put out there, it has to be a concern that are they simply going to wear themselves out as we go, especially since they turn around after this match on Sunday, they've get, they get two days off, and then they have another home match Wednesday night against Colorado. It, it's definitely a concern, and you know we've all seen the hot starts, especially with Dallas over the last few years, but... I, I'm not saying that you have to – nobody should be anointing this club as they're going to win MLS Cup, they're going to win the Shield, like that's it. Because, yes, it is too early. It's you know, They're five games in and it's week seven. Um, but 
there's nothing wrong with saying they're playing a good system. There's nothing wrong with saying the system seems to be working. And yep. perhaps, you know, if, if they have a bunch of three-game weeks and there are injuries that rack up, um, you know, the system will break down some and the team will slow up. But if you can't enjoy any yes. success, then, yes. There's, then what are you doing? Then what are we, that's right. That's right. And so I, I think fans, especially in light of other teams that may not be doing so well, uh, and even without that, the Red Bull fans have to just feel re- very, very good and very, very surprised pleasantly about what's going on. And, I mean, listen, this, <laughs> they haven't lost a game, and they have a chance to win their fourth and five matches against another you know, quality Western Conference opponent. And uh, I think fans can feel really excited about that. And we hope you're excited about it. We hope you're excited about Juan Pablo Angel, who's coming up after the break. So we're going to go to that break now. Stay with us, Juan Pablo Angel, after this brief minute. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. We're back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson here with you tonight. It's a pretty big game this weekend. We've got L.A. coming up, and we have a very, very special guest that's joined us now. Juan Pablo Angel joined the New York Red Bulls in 2007 as a designated player, and by the end of his first season in New York, he had scored 19 league goals, which was the most ever scored by a New York player in a season at that time. By the time he left the team in 2010, the four-time MLS All-Star had scored more goals in a New York uniform than anyone else in history. He will be honored at Red Bull Arena this Sunday at the LA game as one of the 20 for 20. Juan Pablo Angel, welcome to Seeing Red. Well, thank you very much uh, for the introduction, and uh, I'm really happy to, to be in the show. In the show. Well, we're very happy to have you. Let's start here. You played for four coaches in four years when you were with New York. You played for Bruce Arena, Juan Carlos Osorio, Richie Williams, and Hans Baca. How did you deal with the constant turnover of a new coach every year, and did that take away you felt from your performance and the team performance during your tenure here? Well, first of all, I I kind of knew when I when I joined the organization of the project that uh, at that time uh, the the Red Bull company was trying to build around soccer. I knew that it was going to be uh, challenging um, because I was exposed on a similar situation uh, in Colombia when a beverage company come to bought the team. Uh, back in, I don't exactly remember the year, and, and the first few years were, were very, very difficult. So, but uh, even though I expected to be challenging, I didn't thought that it was going to be that much of uh, uh, team changing and uh, new faces every year. The, the, the coaches or the main coaches that I that I played with, uh, and obviously somehow that uh, in a way impact the performance of, of, of the team, but uh, also make understood uh, the organization that uh, that amount of change of changes every year wouldn't help uh, the organization going forward. I was curious about which games you remember most during your stay with the Red Bulls. 
I think obviously the, the first the first season with with uh, Bruce Arena was phenomenal because it was I I joined the team I think it was at the end of uh, May and I started to play if if not uh, the, the last week of May was the beginning of of June um, from the very first game I took off and I started to score goals pretty regular regular and uh, and then. Under Juan Carlos Osorio, I think he was the, I don't know if it was the first or the second season that we managed to to go to to the final, and we ended up getting beat by by Columbus. Who was a completely different different kind of uh, setup both both um, seasons, but I think those two were the ones that I enjoyed the most. Juan Pablo, can you take us through that day in LA in 2008, which was that MLS Cup final? When when John scored, I think uh, I was in attendance, and I know a lot of the other Red Bull fans in attendance thought that the momentum was shifting to New York. Could you talk about your memories from that day in the uh, 2008 Cup Final? Uh, well, well, first of all, I think it was a kind of a roller coaster year for us, and uh, because we were by any, we were in the by any means the best team in the league. And, uh, but we started just to create a group that we know that we, if we, if we were good on the day, we would have chances against anybody. And uh, when we went to play against Salt Lake for the, I think it was the Eastern Conference uh, uh, final, we, in a way, everything played uh, went in our favor. We ended up beating uh, a very good Salt Lake team, and we went to 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 play against uh, the crew that. Uh, for me, was probably the, the the best team in terms of in terms of solidness, and and when we went to LA, we were pretty excited, but but we knew that we were the underdogs, and we didn't really have a good start. And after that, we couldn't really you know come back into the game, and they ended up you know beating us, being not just the the better team on the field, but I think they were uh, they deserved to to win the championship. Now, one of the things that uh, Red Bulls fans got very familiar with was your uh, trademark goal celebration of the the jump and the slash. And I was just curious, how did that become your your go-to celebration? I think it, it, it all started in Argentina when I signed for River Plate, and I think it was in my second year. Uh, and a Guayan player retired from 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 the sport, Enzo Francescoli, and he was arguably arguably one of the biggest names or one of the biggest heroes for, for River Plate of all time. And uh, and uh, it was at that transitional period, normal when, you know, a player of his caliber retired, uh, someone needed to fill that gap. And on the press conference, he came back six months, six months after. And we didn't really have a, a good season. And, and during the press conference, Everybody was asking him about the team, the new players, and I was one of them. And he said uh, that, you know, uh, he sees the Colombian player referring to me at that time wearing the number nine, which was his shirt. And uh, for me, it was an extremely, extremely big amount of pressure that he put on my shoulders. And, and we had a really, really good, really good start of the season. And from the very first goal that I scored, I think it was, it was against a team from Cordova. Um, I scored, uh, I think I scored twice, and the first goal I celebrated like that, in a way, you know, making sure that people understood that, you know, that shirt wasn't going to be, too, weren't going to be too big to me. 
And uh, from then on, I started to celebrate the goals uh, ever since like that. Juan Pablo, New York's opponent on Sunday is one in L.A. that you guys had some epic battles with, especially uh, David Beckham's first trip to New York, which was the crazy 5-4 win in front of something like 60,000 fans plus at uh, Giant Stadium. Could you take us through that game a little bit and what that was like playing in front of such a large crowd in New York? I think it might have been a little bit more than, than 60,000 people. It might have been probably close to 70-plus or... Yeah, I think you're right. How much it was, but I think it was, you know, it was crazy. First of all, because obviously all that David generated that uh, previous to that, I think everybody wanted to see him in New York. Obviously, it was the biggest market. You know, it was, it was going to be his first game in New York City, or by New Jersey, obviously. But... Uh, so the expectation was was very big, uh, and we were accustomed to play on a giant stadium, pretty much with 11, 12, 13, 14,000 people. So every every time it, the stadium was extremely, extremely empty. It was one, and it was one of those situations that it was enjoyable for us to play on a such a big stadium with that small crowd. So just to see that atmosphere that day, I think it was phenomenal uh, because it was closest. It was the closest. Uh, that I experienced uh, in that particular year to all the atmosphere that I was exposed to before in Argentina or in Europe. So it was phenomenal. And then the game itself, I think it was a phenomenal game for those first-time spectators uh, because, as you said, it was a fight for. It was extremely excited from the beginning to an end. But I think it wasn't a good game for a coach or for someone that understands the sport to, to watch because uh, <laughs> the field was obviously... Uh, wasn't near uh, as good as you know you would have thought for a game like that. It was still the old uh, giant stadium turf, but uh, you would have imagined how bad it was. But it, it ended up being a great, um, a great show, I guess, uh, for everybody to to show up to the to that game. Now, Juan Pablo, the, obviously the league has kept growing and, and changing since the days of Beckham. And I know you, uh, you know, departed the league at the end of 2012, but have you been keeping up with what's going on uh, in MLS and any thoughts on its growth over the last few years? Everything. I, I, I follow the league, you know, on a daily basis, uh, obviously through the media and stuff like that. Uh, one of the things that, you know, that I when I joined the team, when I joined the league, when I was present, sorry, the project before I joined the league, I wanted to be part of it because I believed that, you know, that soccer in South America was, in North America was going to grow rapidly. And, in, and you can tell the difference between 2007 when I first joined the league till now. It has come, you know, uh, so far. And I think it's going to keep growing rapidly. Uh, and and the, the appetite for, for the sport keeps growing in, in, in the population in general. Uh, so I, I do keep up with, you know, with what's going on with the team, uh, with, with the league. Uh, I love to see the progress. Uh, I love to see how the quality keeps improving. And, and, I mean, I only have, you know, good things to say about, uh, about MLS. Juan Pablo, tell tell our listeners a little bit about what you're doing now. Are you still involved with the game? Uh, obviously, not playing anymore. Are you getting into coaching? What what uh, what should Red Bull fans know about what Juan Pablo Angel is up to in 2015? 
Right. So when when my time ended at Chivas USA, uh, I came back, you know, for holidays back home, meaning Colombia. And uh, the team that I that I started off my career with, my hometown team, they kind of proposed me that they wanted me to be part of, you know, the project that they were trying to do. They didn't really have anybody that understood the cultural uh, thing about this this team. This is, I mean. Nacional is the best team and the biggest team in Colombia, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. Carlos just joined it uh, as a coach three months previous to uh, to me, so Juan Carlos proposed me to be part of, of the project, and I, I mean, didn't look back and I started off playing for 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 Nacional uh, for the last two years. We won five championships. We won the treble for the first time in the history of, of, of this franchise. So for me, it was like a dream come true. Coming back to the place, it all starts, and finish up the, the way we finished, or the way I finished my career. So those last memories of the game were, uh, you know, phenomenal. So I retired in this, in this past December, and uh, and I started to do some work with the ownership of, of the club. And okay. All the support inside and the... Uh, everything that has to do with the organization itself. Uh, and in the other side, I'm trying to get my education going. I did the, the coaching badges in uh, in the States. I got that done. Uh, and i also trying to get done uh, the ones in South America at the Argentina Federation. Uh, and also doing some uh, fitness uh, education. Uh, on the side as well, because I I also believe that you know that part of the game is becoming extremely important uh, at the high high level at the highest level. Uh, so I wanted to understand also the physical preparation of the sport uh, from the, the academic point of view. Making sure that I utilize. utilize my time that has been a luxury that I never never had, uh, being able to control my own time uh, with the family, with my kids, and, and doing my own stuff. Uh, Juan Pablo, you know, we're very thankful for the time. Uh, obviously, before we let you go, we have to talk about what's going to happen on Sunday. Uh, you're going to be at Red Bull Arena uh, getting honored as part of the club's 20 and 20 ceremony. Talk a little bit about what sort of reception you're expecting and what, what it's going to be like returning to Harrison. Well, first of all, I'm extremely grateful with, you know, obviously the organization to, to, to I mean, for inviting me to this game. Uh, uh, everybody knows my feelings about Red Bulls, uh, and I'm extremely happy to go back. I got a, a lot of memories uh, with the team, with the city, a lot of friends, uh, you know. Uh, so my family and me are extremely, extremely excited. I'm, I mean, I, I, I don't know what to, what to expect. Uh, but whatever happened, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, delighted to be back. Juan Pablo Angel wore the New York Red Bull shirt 112 times in four seasons in New York and is the all-time leading scorer in club history. Juan Pablo, we hope you enjoy Sunday. We will enjoy seeing you there, and thank you so much for joining us on Seeing Red. Thank you very much for inviting me on, and I am looking forward to be back. Come on back. There's more seeing red after this. I'd back heel. Thanks. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin.
Dan Dickinson. Uh, we're, we've supersized the show, have you heard? And our, our next guest is not actually as good as Juan Pablo Angel at soccer, and yet we still have him on the show. Uh, Howard Megdal writes for places like the New York Times, you might have heard, USA Today, and also you can find him at CapitalNewYork.com. Uh, back on the show, it's Howard Megdal. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing well. I, I will say this. Juan Pablo Angel is better at soccer than I am at anything. Yes. Yes. No I don't. I don't. I don't think uh, that's much up for debate. No. You were there uh, Friday night at Red Bull Arena. It was a beautiful night and uh, a great performance by New York. What did you take away in terms of what you saw on the field? I mean, on the field, it's hard to find any sort of negative that you want to take away from this. Uh, it, it's in a remarkable way. You you hear all the time, you hear coaches talk about wanting to play an attractive brand of soccer. You want it to be up tempo. But when you actually see the Red Bulls, and it's early. Um, I'm not saying it isn't early, but every single possession seems to be a, of the pressing sort. And so it made for uh, a fun time that I think really uh, engaged the fans who were there. And uh, I, I don't think there's any question that it's a, a fan-friendly kind of soccer, not just uh, successful so far as the last unbeaten team in MLS. Howard, I think we share, you know, the agreement that the performance was entertaining and exciting and a, a good match. But did it strike you oddly that the reaction in the locker room was so dour and of the belief that they could do better? Did it feel like anybody was channeling a certain former captain of this club? <laughs> yes, it, which is which makes a lot of sense because you know those who are leading this team now, whether it's Dax or uh, or Luis Robles trained under Henri about how to how to lead a team. So that didn't strike me as all that surprising. I think because of, you know, having heard Henri through the years, uh, you know, after, you know, say four to nothing victories, talk about how many things went wrong. But I also think it's a sign of a team that is not willing to accept early success as uh, therefore it's right moving forward. And, you know, to hear Sasha talk about that, in the post game, that you know we're not going to drink the Kool Aid. We don't want to be one of those teams, uh, and we're not one of those teams. It was uh, encouraging when you look at carrying this forward, because you know, look, we've seen the Red Bulls maybe not have a hot start like this since you know, I, I, I guess I have to go back to '07, but not be in a situation where they play well early and things don't end up going their way at the end of the season. And and yet. It seems, and Dan wrote a bit about this this week, that it, longtime fans of the team are holding their optimism because they've seen things go to crap so many times. The players themselves are not allowing themselves to get too excited. Does anyone have a right to be excited about the last undefeated team in MLS? I mean, they have a right to be excited, and yet you can also completely understand where everybody's coming from, which I, which I think Dan mentioned in his piece as well, which I really enjoyed, actually, uh, quite a bit. Uh, the the issue with the players is that they cannot rest on their success. The issue with the fans is they've been burned so many times before. And, and let's not forget to add a third segment, which is there's a segment of the Red Bull fan population that doesn't really want to believe that this is going so well. Because this going so well invalidates in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the decision made to let Mike Petty go. And uh, I think it's entirely possible and, in, in fact, reasonable to both believe that that was handled poorly 
and believe that the Red Bulls are on the right path now. Uh, but that's a hard one to reconcile. And so I can understand why that group would have trouble and, um, you know, also why that group might not have been there on Friday night on an absolutely perfect night for soccer. Sorry, my phone just rang. Uh, <laughs> um, Howard, speaking of, of people who were there or not there on Friday night, um, you know, I know you touched on it a bit in your piece, but what was your general take on the attendance? Was it because it was a Friday night at seven o'clock and that's a bad window? Was it, you know, the, this leftover effect from the, the dealings with the off season? Um, and, and especially in the context of what was a pretty big weekend for soccer around the NYC metro area? You know, it's hard to say without having more data to be able to understand exactly what we're looking at. Uh, you know, it's a, a single snapshot. The Red Bulls have now two home matches, you know, one being the opener. So it's really hard to say, you know, look, this is what we think is going on. This is what the post-honorary, post-Petki Red Bulls can expect in terms of attendance. But I think all of them may have played a role. Uh, it, it's hard for me to sort of swallow the idea that the Red Bulls at seven uh, were so impossible for fans to get to, but, you know, the Mets play almost all the time when they're at home at 7.10. The Yankees play usually at 7.05. And, um, you know, they, they, they don't sell out every time, but certainly you don't often hear it as a problem for people to get there. I was under the impression that every other sports team sold out every game in this town. <laughs> no, Sorry. No, not at all. And, and although, you know, certainly the Cosmos sold out to the extent that uh, that is impressive over at Hofstra the following day and even had standing room only crowd, um, you know, of over 12,000. So uh, there, there are sporting events that do well here. Uh, the Mets did very well, by the way, opening week. And uh, sold, you know, thirty-five, forty thousand tickets to most of most of those games. So it is possible. It's concerning if I'm the Red Bulls that I had that kind of start. You know, they, they you know, the two zero and two start coming in, and had a perfect night for soccer. And it's a Friday night. It's not even a school night, and that building was not more filled. Um, you know, that and that absolutely perfect building for soccer on a perfect night for soccer with a really entertaining team doesn't mean that people won't grab on to this team. Um, it, it seemed as if last year, especially late, not only were the fans fully engaged, but you saw some crossover starting to happen and some people starting to recognize the Red Bulls who maybe hadn't upwards of 20 years, maybe, maybe some people in my profession. Um and that may still happen once again, but it was it, it was almost a, a disturbing reminder that well they're going to really have to start that process almost over again. Well, and it's it's interesting that you say that. And Howard, I mean, we certainly talk uh, quite a bit on this show about the uh, m most of the mainstream media's general indifference about this team, and mm -hmm. it's been that way for most of twenty years. Yeah. Uh, we get great coverage uh, from Brian Lewis in the New York Post, and it's it's sad. And we've had Brian on the show many, many, many times uh, not to kind of take Brian's coverage for granted because it's always been there and it's always consistent, it's always good. And now he's covering two teams and he's He's making it happen, but uh, you know, TV, radio, 
uh, and the other print publications, traditional print publications, just really can't be bothered. And nor do I think that most uh, journalists, traditional journalists in this town, know actually how to talk about a game. Uh, they, they certainly talk about the crowd. They talk about uh, fan issues and fan sentiment uh, over things that have happened. But it's very, very rare that you see folks actually writing tactic and game stories really the way they could be told. I think it is more that there's a... I think it's twofold. I think there are some editors in this town who um, are either not interested in that or are concerned that writing a story of that ilk will not be read by enough people. And, and I think that's changing. I, I think that there's, there's a significant contingent that are pushing for this to change. And I think, I, you know, to, to use the phrase... I think soccer is on the right side of history when it comes to journalism in this town. Um, but that said, it has been a recurring problem, and it will be interesting to see what leads it to change. I certainly believe that that other team came into existence as part of MLS's, and, and not, not a belief, I know it to be true, in a hope to change the conversation within the New York media. Whether it does that is a whole other discussion for, frankly, a whole other podcast. But you're absolutely right that it hasn't been the way the Red Bulls have been covered uh, in a lot of places in this town for 20 years. That's all very true. Howard, I wanted to ask you, that it struck me on Friday night that there's a little bit of a strange conflict uh, at play at Red Bull Arena now. Now, Jesse was talking after the match about talking about the past is no longer worth any of our time. And yet at the same time, this is a club that's very strongly and very directly trying to make connections to its history with things like the 20 and 20 and, and the ceremony for Juan Pablo that's coming up on Sunday. So can they have it both ways? Can they both, you know, want to move on from the past and celebrate it as heavily as they are? I will. I, I, I certainly believe in giving uh, Jesse the benefit of the doubt on that one. Uh, you know, I asked him that question and, I think the answer had very specifically to do with the most recent offseason, which I think it's fair to say that the New York Red Bulls are not going to be celebrating within their 20 and 20 uh, celebration, and understandably so. Celebrate Mike Pecky, absolutely. Celebrate, you know, early January of 2015 with Mike Pecky, not so much. And I think that's what Jesse meant. Um, I, uh, I, I certainly think in that sense they can have it both ways. And I'd say something beyond that, which is I think they were looking to do this anyway. I, I sat for a one-on-one with Mark DeGrimpray, uh last August where he talked about the desire to embrace the tradition going into the 20th season. So this isn't some sort of tactical response to what happened with Mike Petty. However, it became so much more important after what happened this off season. And even, and we were talking about it a little bit, just the fact that Dane Richards is in uniform is almost this implicit living, uh, living way of honoring the past um, <laughs> as, as well. So what a beautiful opportunity. And uh, I choose to, to view Dane Richards that way, and I, I invite all of you and all the listeners to do the same. 
a living a, a piece of living history. So uh, I'm very curious, uh, Howard, you, your view on. I mean, the team is uh, right now at the top of all the power rankings, and yes, we know what that's worth in April. Not much, but it seems like every time the team plays, they have an opportunity to make a statement and. Whether this LA Galaxy team is of similar quality to the ones that have won three out of the last four MLS Cups, it will be another test to say, to prove whether this team is actually for real. Uh, Your thoughts on what we might see uh, Sunday night at Red Bull Arena? Well, look, it's going to mean something just in terms of perception of this team. And when a team goes out and jettisons its two highest-paid and most accomplished players, as the Red Bulls did this offseason, and doesn't replace them with uh, an equivalent big name, you know, you know, if we consider Sasha to be uh, a player who's absolutely accomplished, but certainly, you know, I just... Yes, not a global star. Not, his, not the same Q rating, let's put it that way, no. in, in a sort of an unfortunate way. Um, the, the net result is going to be a deficit in how people view the team. If you can go out and beat, it's not Landon Donovan's Galaxy, but if you can go out and beat the Galaxy, if you can go and on national TV and make Bruce Arena frown, I think it's going to open some additional eyes around the sport. But the Red Bulls are playing this different sort of game, which is they're not paying for media again. And we've talked about this. You know, they, they have, they're not putting anyone on a billboard in Times Square. And so it's going to have to be earned media. It's going to have do, to do, come from people taking notice of their play. And so their play has to be better. I, I, I mean, the, the, the team on the other side of the river, I'm not, I'm not allowed to say the name, I know, on the podcast. <laughs> the team on the other side of the river merely has to be good and then they spend so much money to publicize it and they can maximize their gains for whatever reason. And I've never gotten a satisfactory answer on this. It's not what the Red Bulls do. That's the answer I get. It's not what the Red Bulls do. And so this start, which should be plastered everywhere, is instead happening in a bit of an echo chamber right now. And it really needs to progress for them to get the type of attention that they did Last year, near the end of the season, when they were finally making that playoff run, and you saw some people who weren't paying attention starting to pay attention to what was going on at Red Bull Arena. I'll just say two things, and then I'll hand off to Dan uh, to, to close us out, Howard. But first of all, I, I'm I'm not one that's convinced that a billboard in Times Square would do necessarily anything to actually convince a human being to travel to the stadium and watch a game. And, and that's something that I think the team has proven time after time again, that taking a page out of the newspaper doesn't in fact work. It doesn't work. Now, obviously, well, do, uh, the... Uh, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I I just the all-out blitz that uh, Man City Light has undertaken has been very well thought out. It's been very expensive. That the the deal with Models was terrific, yeah. um, and I think that's helped a lot. And then lastly, I think May 10th will be really, really interesting, which will be the first Hudson Derby at Red Bull Arena. And I think um, I would like to think that the the, the city's sports media will certainly um, pay attention there. So, 
can I just speak to the first point, yes. which is that I don't think we know the answer to that because I don't think we've seen the Red Bulls do that consistently for a sustained period of time. And and it, it's not just about, okay, someone sees a billboard in Times Square and that converts to a person immediately getting on the path train and coming to Harrison. It, it has to do with people who are not even necessarily aware of what is going on there. You know, it almost feels to me through the years like I go through a tunnel and come out on the other side and I'm at Red Bull Arena where there's this wonderful crowd and there's this amazing soccer experience and then I leave and there's no post-game show on terrestrial radio and I come home and there's like no sign of it outside of this very specific soccer community. And and bridging that gap is something that leads to additional and, and, and people on the show are not going to want to hear it, but NYCFC's response has led to bars filling up and, you know, people going to games that otherwise weren't going to games. And, and that's, that's the net result. It's not because of anything other than this exists and people are aware of it. And, and it just seems so basic to me that if, if that takes place, that's a way for the Red Bulls to have broken through. It might not have worked, but we just don't know because we've never seen him try it. It seems to be PR 101, and it, it is working at least for now with that team across the river. We, we've gotten pretty deep in the weeds, so I, I want to end on a, a, a white note, Howard. Uh, and I don't know if Mark is aware of this, but we discovered something pretty critical at the end of the, the locker room availability on Friday, which is that the media meal, and I also believe the food in the club lounge this year, is no longer themed for the opponent, but it's the favorite foods of a particular player on the team. So, yes. Howard, which player are you most looking forward to having the dinner of? Oh, I, I mean, look... <laughs> It's not just because Dane Richards is a representative of everything uh, that's been good when it comes to the New York Red Bulls. And, and it's not just because he was my very first player interview in soccer back in a trailer on Montclair State University campus. Um, but I also happen to love Jamaican food. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you just take that all together and, and there's, there's no other answer. There's just no other answer. It's just very clearly going to be. I, I, I look forward to the day and night, and uh, I, I hope it happens soon. You uh, professional moneyed uh, journos with your, <laughs> uh, your themed dinners. I don't want to Listen, hear it, Mark. You get chicken and waffles now. <laughs> it, it's yummy. <laughs> Howard Megdol can be read at places like the New York Times, USA Today, and Capital New York. Howard, thank you so much for coming back and joining us on Seeing Red. We'll talk to you later this season. Thank you. Have me anytime. I appreciate it. Emails and voicemails next. It's Seeing Red. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back on Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup, backheel.com, Twitter, Seeing Red NY, Facebook, Seeing Red NY, Stitcher, just search for Seeing Red. You can go to seeingredny.com. Here's how else you can reach us. And I'm waiting, Dan, for the show where we have five voicemails. That is my goal. Team's got to stop it's, winning, Mark. I, I think you're right. <laughs> when the team wins, the response is very, shall I say, muted in terms of the Red Book fan community. If you want to call us and leave us a voice line, a voicemail, rather, you can do it any time. 
call this number, 973-602-9161. Call us. You can give us our, your bull and cow of the week anytime. After the game, pick up the phone, make it happen. Or you can write us at singredny at Gmail. We'd like to read. We've had a great show. Juan Pablo Angel was excellent. Howard Megdal, excellent. And this here segment will be excellent, too. And our first excellent call is from our good friend, Greg Gomez. Gentlemen, hello. This is Greg. How's it going? Um, I want to touch on a topic that uh, Mark brought up on Twitter. Uh, the L.A.-New York game has always been uh, a big spectacle in MLS. Uh, seems to be losing its luster lately. I mean, it used to be the 1% Darby, but since Hickam's gone, Donovan's gone, Henri's gone, Rafa's gone, Cahill's gone, and there's this other new team from New York, has the current incarnation of New York, L.A., lost its luster a bit? What do you think? Okay, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. So the 1% Darby, if, if Keen doesn't play... This is, it's not 1%. I mean, this is like an outlet mall derby going on. <laughs> oh, wow. I, we, Has we might the luster have to really going, been lost? I, I think once you lose Rafa Marquez, the luster's gone. Nobody's going to be the wild card that's uh, <laughs> throwing balls and swinging punches and diving. Um, Greg actually did say Rafa he did, Marquez. He did, I was glad. Because most people want to forget that Rafa was a big part of why that... Why that yes. rivalry was so crazy. Um, yes. I, I think it's definitely lost a little bit of the luster because I don't think L.A. is as glitzy with the talent as they were in the Beckham days. I mean, we talked about it earlier. You've got Keane and you've got Omar Gonzalez as a DP. And I like Omar just fine. But, uh, you know, the DP deal made me scratch my head a bunch. And you've got Mr. Insanity Steven Gerrard coming in midseason who will we'll see what he does. Um it's it's not the same, and I think a lot of the shine about you know the the big spending uh, Liberace money, as our friends uh, yes. Sean and Kevin used to say, yes. um, you know that's Seattle and Toronto, and Toronto's terrible. Don't get me wrong, terrible. But, Toronto is terrible. But they have the image of they're going to spend whatever they feel like on whoever they want, and that's well, what made the one percent derby that much fun. Also, the Jokers in the Bronx, I mean, in theory, could be the 1% Derby if they could finish a game or actually have their guy start a game. But it's un, that's not happening. You're saying so. Medi Bellucci is still part of the 1% Derby? Medi Bellucci. Good for Medi Bellucci. <laughs> it was a pretty goal. But, Even if he didn't want to come. But we'll leave it, it at that because I don't want to upset anybody. No, you, you, you certainly don't. Nevertheless, uh, I think it's still New York versus L.A. I think the fact that New York comes in undefeated to the match on Sunday is going to bring enough attention. I think people are waking up to the fact that um, players aren't here anymore and the t all the team is doing is, uh, is picking up points every match. So thanks, Greg, for the call. Uh, so teen, teen wonder fan Paul Vernick has a call. Uh, Paul has been honing his call-in skills over the last couple of weeks in, in an effort to uh, get a good message. Paul has a ton of enthusiasm, and when you have enthusiasm, you get on the show. Here's Paul Vernick, ladies and gentlemen. What's up, Sing Red? It's Paul Vernick, the, the creator of Angry Canadians. So, wow, that's the only word I could say about this season start. I mean, you could say it's Grella, or you could say it's Bolsome, like awesome, I'm trying to spin on words. But, I mean, I'm not queuing on 
Red Bull Optimus, but let's go, Red Bull Optimus. Uh, I am uh, open and available to become Red Bull Optimus 2, junior, teen, whatever you want to call me. And uh, let's go Red Bulls. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a surprise to me. I mean, they went all like, let's go for team, no iron team. And, I mean, they did it. They're the only undefeated team in the MLS, and uh, I expect them to uh, go to the MLS Cup this year and win it. So, to all of those Red Bull outers, you'll still be there. To all those haters of the Red Bulls, you'll still be there. But the Metro curse won't. So, this is Paul Vernon uh, signing out. Wow. Paul is uh, Paul's hyped up? That kid is an energy drink. Paul, we appreciate your infectious enthusiasm. I think uh, calling this team going all the way before it's officially summertime is traditionally uh, not a strong predictor of future success, but it is very hard to argue with success. To paraphrase our Voltron brother, Dave Martinez, you have to give credit where it's due, and this is a team that is constantly looking to improve, even when they win convincingly, and I think that's all you could hope for. Any comments, sir? Uh, I completely agree. Okay. With that said, three emails on tap. Uh, some of them are long. I will do my best to read quickly. Here's Guy LeCharles Gonzalez, who writes, and Guy, if it's Guy, I apologize. Guy LeCharles Gonzalez. First, thanks for producing such a quality podcast. Your level-headed coverage of the infamous town hall meeting helped put things in perspective for a brand new MLS fan and Red Bull supporter who went all in at the end of last season, becoming a season ticket holder for only the second time in my life. His first time, folks, was with the XFL. And I've been a fan of the podcast ever since. Thank you very much, Guy. I missed the home opener because I was out of town for work. So last week's 2-0 victory over San Jose was my first time back for a match since the uh, semifinal leg against the Revs last year. I was disappointed in the low turnout on a gorgeous Friday night, but that ended up being the only disappointment of the evening as the team put on a good show. Playing hard to the final whistle and taking all three points. Seeing Marsh's philosophy in person was a delight. And the change from last season is as clear as day for anyone paying attention. Even my 14-year-old son, who enjoys going to live games and an occasional match on FIFA 15, but isn't a soccer fan, noted the difference on the pitch. The relentless energy and the work rate jump out at you at first, followed by the absence of Henri as the team's center of gravity, replaced not by one player's, but an exciting lack of predictability. Oh, I like that. I like that. Uh, turn of phrase. While BWP is unlikely to match last year's goal production, I fully expect the team to end up in the top five for goals and assists again and even be more dangerous as a result. I love the post-game interviews where they all agreed to, that they're a work in progress and have room for improvement and Marsh's call to stop looking backwards was one I hope the media and supporters take to heart. And it hasn't happened yet, Dan. Every, just about every story that we read about this team continues to use the H word and the C word and the P word um, in, in the opening paragraph. And I'd like to think that we're going to kind of move past there. The offseason was messy, but what's done is done and we could certainly have been handled better. I can't uh, take anyone seriously who would argue that it was the wrong call to make nor that it was the right time. A few weeks back, Dave Martinez suggested the supporters shouldn't be afraid to give credit where it's due and the 15 Red Bulls deserve a lot of credit right now. As a lifelong Mets and Jets fan, 
Sorry, I know all. I know all about enjoying the good times while you can. With one eye looking on either, uh, looking for the other shoe to drop. But if when it does, I'll deal with it then. Thoroughly enjoying a run of form. They clearly believe in themselves, so I believe in them. Keep, keep up the great work, Voltron. That's Gila Charles Gonzalez. That was great. That was very cool. And I love the notion of uh, an exciting lack of predictability. Do you think there is a lack of predictability on this team, Dan? Uh, the team keeps. Picking up points when they've scored scored two goals in the last four games. What it's totally predictable. They're really good now. Um, <laughs> it is exciting to watch this team this year. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody's going to deny that. And Mark, to your point about the H word and the C word and the P word, which I think is helicopter. Um, <laughs> it, it, the season was always going to be framed like that. It wouldn't matter who was coaching, whether or not either the H or the C stuck around for another year. You know change guides your narrative and the comparisons are always going to be there. But the upshot is the comparisons are always positive. It's nobody thought this team was going to do anything. Nobody thought that they were going to perform, you know, blah, 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 blah. It, it, it's a good comparison because the team is shedding that past. And, you know, Jesse did make his statement about, about you know looking forward and not not dealing with the past so much and I I had a couple of fans uh, question that when I threw it in my piece over the weekend um, I don't think it was Jesse saying that the fans can't be upset about what happened in the off season or or whatever else I think it's just him saying look we got a job to do and we need to move on as a team and we hope that everybody can move with us but. Well, I think the team has definitely moved on. I think the team moved on from the first weeks of training camp. I think it's, I think he's just tired. You know, when we talked about Bradley being tired of talking about, so Henri's not fitting in the ball anymore. How do you feel about that? Like that works for game one, but after game one, it's like, guys, we're here and we're playing and I don't want to talk about it anymore. And I think it's very much the same. Um, I think that the element of surprise is blown, right? right? Like, we're, the team's good, and the team has had great success, and so let's not talk about the previous one year, three years, five years, or 19 years, unless the talk is about the fact that they haven't won MLS Cup. Like, we can't continue to rehash and rehash. We've all got to move forward with the team, and I hope that fans who have decided to stay... Uh, with the club can do that. Here's Mike Cesarski, frequent writer of the show. It's Mike Cesarski in PA. Since Kamara Lawrence is playing so well at the back, how crazy would it be to give Roy Miller time at left mid? In the last few years, he seemed to get forward all the time anyway. He did well working the left side with Henri. I, that's the H word. I'd be interested to see if you could... Uh, he, he could provide service to BWP. What do you think? Been listening since episode one. Yes, Mike Cesarski. Yes. And I'm very thankful to have a show like yours. Thanks, guys. Roy Miller at left mid. How does that fit with the Grizzo? I, I mean, it replaces the Grizzo and replaces it with Precious Roy. Precious Roy. <laughs> Making lots of suckers out of Grizzle Boys. Um, you know, I, over the years, I thought maybe Miller needs to push up. And I think maybe Costa Rica has experimented with them a little higher up. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea at this point, especially because... I think Kamar Lawrence has done a good job of locking down that left back spot. He hasn't been, you know, the the shining beacon, but that's because the team's not playing the same run to the corner and cross style that they've done in the past. So, um, you know, I I would want to give him a shot once he gets healthy, which is the key. Well, the question is, do you sit 
Grello or do you sit Zizo for Roy Miller? And that kind of rolls into this next email from uh, Section 201, Palmario Nunarico, who's our last email of the night. Guys, what's up? As always, thank you for the job you do in giving us our weekly Red Bulls fix. Hey, have you noticed that we're undefeated through our first five games? Dave, Dan, did you notice? No, not at all. That's news to me. Just, need, just felt the need to point that out. And while typically that would be followed with some comment about how we need to play much better, we actually don't need to play much better. We need to keep doing exactly what we're doing. Say what you want about Marsh, but for once, we have a coach that has preached a philosophy from day one and stuck with it, and it's paying early dividends. That's not to say we don't have room for improvement. We obviously do, especially in the final third. But if our midfield keeps locking down play the way they have, they'll keep making up for any blemishes this team may have. Oh, the main point of why I'm writing, the Mike Grella role. It's hard to keep Mike out of the lineup because he keeps finding ways to score, and hopefully that isn't a fluke. But if that does come to an end, we have a hole in the midfield. We've tried Zizzo and Grella there, and Grella's been the obvious uh, choice for the time being because of his finishing. I haven't seen enough of him, but from what I have seen, he isn't your typical midfield player. Good speed, good finishing, but distribution and possession isn't the best. That, st- that said, when does the Leo Stoltz experiment begin? Up until the San Jose game, I was a big advocate for giving a, a kid a run out of the starting 11, but I can't argue with Grella's results. Don't tinker with the lineup, but if Grella has to come out, I would much rather see Leo get a shot than throwing Zizzo back in there. Just wanted your thoughts on that. Thanks. Um, Leo has been playing for the USL Baby Bulls, and while Leo certainly has, has been captain when he's been on, um, I'm not so sure that he's ready for MLS. What do you think? I haven't gotten to see much of the USL games, admittedly, so I I can't judge him from that performance, but, you know, I think if you give him games in USL and let him develop some and work in a system that's very similar to what the first team is playing, that he should be ready to slot in. And if you can't slot in young players, um, we wouldn't have seen Chris Duvall and we wouldn't be singing the praises of young Matt Miazga, who... Just so everybody's clear, you have to say young before you say Matt Miazga. You, you absolutely do, at least until he's legal. Even when he retires, we're going to be calling him young Matt Miazga. Young Matt Miazga. Yes. Um, but, you know, you you get these younger players, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And I think Leo Stoltz will work out. I, I do need to note, I took a tremendous amount of grief from a listener um, over the weekend because when we talked about the uh, left midfield situation last week, um, we didn't mention Dane Richards. Who has yes, on the that's left a true. couple of times. And I personally always see Dane as a right-sided player because that's what I remember him as when he was here in his first stint. But um, he is an option on the left as well if Roy Miller doesn't work out. Yes, that's you're absolutely right. And I think that... Uh... Dane did just fine. He was dangerous. He stretched the defense. He helped push New York to uh, getting an opportunity of two uh, to making it a 3-0 match, which at the time would have really obviously salted the game away. At the time, like around the 70, around the 80th minute, you know, you figure you get one quick fluky goal and then you, you make the rest of the game kind of nutty. But uh, in his limited role, yes, his sh- sh- shooting could be sharper, say that 10 times fast, but I think that he has been, for his role, done just fine. I'm, I'm very, very pleased with what I've seen from Dane. Yep. So. so there's a game Sunday and then there's a game Wednesday, and we will make every effort to get in a shorter show than this uh, in between uh, so we can have a fresh preview show before New York takes on Colorado Wednesday night at Red Bull Arena. Of course, this Sunday, 5 o'clock, uh, 
Los Angeles Galaxy. Juan Pablo Angel will be there. It's Wings for Life and Top Soccer Night at Red Bull Arena. I hope the weather is good. Uh, I hope it's a great time. I hope the Red Bulls win. I have it a 2 nothing win. Dan Dickinson has it a 2 nil win. And for Dan Dickinson and Juan Pablo Angel and Howard Megdal, we hope you've enjoyed this supersized Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you next week. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.